Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. Just by way of a quick announcement, um, we do something at this time of the year that we call uh, Inside Out. It's our special Christmas giving, and you can contribute to this. The inside is to help members of our own fellowship right here that may have a need, families that are in need. And so if you're marking uh, anything either online or in the back and giving, um, uh, with that, then know that ministers to them. Our outside portion that we'll be taking an offering at the year end about is going to be going to Compassion Pregnancy Center. I do a phenomenal job of really ministering to those who are processing uh, the life within them and dealing with the unborn. So you can give on the website um, or directly here in the back. If you're here as a guest or a visitor for the first time, we know that you're happening. There's guests continuously through this. A little difficult sometimes for us to recognize. Hopefully in a couple of months when this is all off, we'll be able to... Nice thing is you're going to be brand new both times. Uh, you know, so here and when we see you for the first time. Um, we would normally be receiving offering. We're doing that now online. We are doing it also in-house here. Uh, there's a box in the back and at the information center. But we would tell you if you're a guest or if you're not a follower of Christ that we don't expect you to give or participate. Giving in a service, giving to God of our tithes or our offerings... Um, is rooted in a recognition of his sovereignty, his rulership in our life. It's also recognizing uh, an issue of gratitude, that we still breathe, that we still have the capacity for life, and recognizing and acknowledging tangibly, not just with words, but tangibly, that uh, these things come from him. And so that to us is part of what offering is about. Um, And so before we go into the word today, let's just take a moment at least to acknowledge that. So Father, we thank you. We acknowledge in this moment of time of gathering that everything we have comes from you. And so, Lord, according to your word, we, we designate that 10%. We give that back to you and to your work. Offerings above and beyond to those who are in need inside the fellowship, as well as outside to compassion pregnancy. And, Lord, we ask that these things be used with wisdom for your purposes. And then, Lord, we pray that in this gathering you would unfold your word to us, that your Holy Spirit would move more deeply than the words of a man could. And it would shape and define our hearts and our minds, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have just finished a series, sort of, because it's kind of leaking over, um, that was entitled The Long Way Home. Uh, I told him this next section is going to be titled creatively, The Long, Long Way Home, but we're bypassing that. We're going to be talking about out of the silence and out of the dark. But in this long way home, we were talking about the children of Israel who come out of Egypt, 
and God's process of developing them from slaves to warriors, from tribes to a nation, from not knowing God to knowing God. The key figure in all this is a guy named Moses. He's the lawgiver. And uh, Moses, uh, in the end, is not permitted to go into the promised land. Um, A couple of reasons for that. His own behavior, predominantly. But it's also a metaphor in a way that that the law does not walk us into the promised land. So Moses does not do that. Joshua, the next generation, a new generation of leadership and people walk in. Joshua, whose name means that the Lord is salvation, not the law, but the Lord. We respect the law, but the Lord is salvation. Joshua, whose name in the New Testament is translated as Jesus. And so he is now the one in charge. But to wrap up that portion and take us into this, one of our staff reminded me of um, a picture that was given to us for some reason years ago and has never really been shown. So I thought this would be a great time to show it. This is Moses. And for those of you that can't see, Moses is a really stern dude. Okay? He's got his rod and... Um, this is the man who knew God mostly through the ways of the law. So I thought we'd just memorialize him for a moment today. And also, the nice thing about this that's really cool is wherever you're at, his eyes follow you. So if you distract from the message at any time, you'll look up and find that he is sternly looking at you. That's him, not me. Okay. So, they go into the land of promise. As they cross in the land, um, they're now no longer slaves. They're now warriors, and they're going to conquer the land. Numerous battles. The Battle of Jericho is fit, or fought. Um, A lot of other different battles are done. The first thing that happens practically, though, when they cross into the land of promise... Joshua encounters someone. I'm not going to show you the scripture right now, but I want to put a bookmark in this. He encounters a figure who suddenly shows up and um, is designated the commander of the Lord's army. And um, Joshua says, well, are you for us or or against us? And um, that's another subject we'll get into in a moment of time. But he worships this figure you don't worship angels. Angels will not permit you to do that. The only one we worship is, is God. So there's something unique happening here. And we're just going to leave Joshua in that moment before this mysterious figure who has shown up on his first foray in military sense going into, into Canaan. Things rapidly evolve. There's uh, the fighting. The land is conquered. Um, there's a series of what are called judges that rule Israel. Joshua, Gideon, even a woman named Deborah. Um, At one point in time, the final judge of of Israel is a guy named Samuel, and Samuel transitions into the monarchy. So now they're no longer tribes, they're now a nation. And the first one that is designated is a guy named Saul. Saul doesn't turn out too good. So the next king after that is anointed, his name is David. And so we're fast-forwarding through centuries of history quickly here for you. Um, David is the king of Israel, the second king. He is um, followed by his son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, David is a warrior. Uh, He's a poet. Uh, He's a a man after God's own heart. He has written many of the Psalms. 
And um, there's a lot of different aspects of, of who he is, but let's just kind of note King David and his importance in this history. Other kings come. Uh, Israel rises and falls only to fall again, to be taken into captivity, to come out of that captivity. As Israel continues to rise and fall, eventually it comes under the control, um, in essence, of Rome and into the time period that we celebrate now. In this whole process, prophecies are offered. Things speaking to the presence and promise of Jesus Christ. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. These prophecies are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. In fact, Peter Stoner, who is a chairman of the departments of both mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, years ago was so passionate about biblical prophecy that he got together over 600 students from InterVarsity, and together they began to look at uh, Stoner at eight specific prophecies that I want to talk to you about here today. And they came up with an extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled. So they went to the conservative side of these eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person, and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of these. And the conclusion of his research was pretty staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. In other words, one in ten, you have to have 17 zeros running behind that. That's beyond the trillion mark and the trillion trillion. That's what you have, one in ten to the 17th power of him managing these eight. So he wrote this. He says, let us try to visualize this chance. He says, if you mark one of ten tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfold man to um, draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. But to give you the contrast and understanding of what we're talking about here, he said, suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power number of silver dollars and the trillions and trillions of silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. I've been in Texas. It's not like Rhode Island. It's a big state. He said it will cover all the state two feet deep, that many silver dollars. He says, now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole thing thoroughly all over the state. Take a moment. We'll wait. Blindfold a man now and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. There's one marked silver dollar in the whole state of Texas, two feet deep, mixed in that pile. He has to find that one. What would be the chance of him getting the right one? He says it's the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they used their own wisdom. This is the chance. These are the odds. These are probabilities that Jesus matches what we're about to discuss right now today. Let's begin in Genesis. Since it's at the beginning, it's a good place to start. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Um, God is speaking to Abraham, who he's called out um, and has a relationship with him, says, I'll bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Another phrase says that um, all people will use your name, basically, 
Um, your name will be involved in any blessings of all the world. So your name is going to be associated with the word of blessing. Acts chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, uh, just prior to this passage, Peter and John, the two apostles, are on their way to the temple to worship, and on the way they encounter a lame man, a cripple, who is at the gate of the temple collecting whatever monies he can due to his conditions and circumstances. When Peter and John address him as he cries out to them, he thinks he's going to get some cash. They disabuse him of that and say, silver and gold in the King James, have we none? At which point in time you think, well, what a bust is that? But he says, what, what we have, we're going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the man rises up and is healed in the name of Jesus Christ. People gather around, conversations start to take place in the midst of those conversations and them trying to explain to them who Jesus is. He says, indeed, beginning with Samuel, the last of those judges, as I said, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. Everyone who's prophesied talk about this. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. And they're trying to point to the idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that through Abraham's line is this individual, the Messiah, who's going to bless all people on the earth, including Americans and every other mix of country that we have in this gathering right now goes on to give a little bit of a guideline of how this is going to go that's very specific. It's not just Abraham, but it's going to be specifically through his son Isaac. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, God says, yes, but your wife Sarah is going to bear you a son. You're going to call him Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Not Ishmael, who's the eldest, who's already present at this point, but to Isaac. In Romans chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, not because their descendants are they all called Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Goes on in Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. It says, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. This is a unique moment here happening because what's happened is um, Isaac has had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older son, therefore he should get the blessing. But Jacob's a sly little crap, and what he does is he slips into the corners here, and he convinces his father, who's kind of blind and kind of deaf at that time, that he's Esau, so he gets the blessing. The blessing had spiritual and financial connotations to it. Esau comes back from the hunt, finds out what little brother's done, and as any good sibling would do, he vows to kill him. Any parent understands the dynamic. Jacob is maybe slippery, but he's not stupid. He runs. And as he's running, he spends the night out at a location, and in the middle of the night, he has this vision of angels coming up and down a ladder. And it's in this context, 28 verse 14, that God says to Jacob, who, let's be blunt, is a loser. This guy is, is not a, a, a straight guy. Your descendants are going to be like dust of the earth. You'll spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. Abraham has promised that something's going to come that's going to bless the nations. It's going to come through Isaac, not Ishmael, the older son, how it should have been. It's going to come through the secondary son. That shouldn't happen, but it does. Isaac has a son, and the blessing is said it's going to come, but not through Esau, the older son, the one who's playing it straight, but through the deceiver, the secondary son. It's not taking the way that it should, but this is how it's going. In Luke chapter 3, verse 34, we find out that he is the son of Jacob, doing the lineage of Jesus, Isaac, son of Abraham, etc., etc. 
So you have something unusual that's happening here that would not be in the norm, that shouldn't have been um, projected or expected, but it's happening. And then we go on to another prophecy. In Genesis 49, verse 10, we're told that the scepter or the ruling element is not going to depart from Judah, a very specific tribe now. There's going to be something about this that's also going to have the obedience of nations, that this rulership isn't going to just be for Israel, but it's going to have an impact that's going to have the obedience of nations shall be his. Luke chapter 3, verse 33 goes on to talk about Jesus' lineage. And in there it's talking in the fact that he's going to be the son of Judah. So you have that flowing on through. And then you have a really, to me, very interesting process that comes in um, into 2 Samuel. Now, in 2 Samuel, David, uh, the king, I told you we'd come back to him, he's done a phenomenal job of conquering. He's a wonderful warrior and a, and a beautiful poet and a man who's really after God's heart. And so at one point in time in this portion of Samuel, he's sitting here and saying, wait a minute, I'm living in this house of cedar. I've, I've got the beauty of the aroma of the wood. I've got this beautiful palace. And meanwhile, the ark of the Lord is still in the tabernacle, it's still in a collection of tents. It's not right that I should be living in this house, this beautiful palace, and, and the ark of the Lord is, is still in tents. I'm going to build a temple for God. I'm going to build a, an incredible edifice. Nathan the prophet says, hey, whatever you're thinking is, is good. God's with you. I mean, I'm sure. They both go to bed, and later that night, God shows up in a vision of Nathan and says, uh, not so fast, Nate. He says, that's not how it's going to play out. Someone else is going to actually build the house. And I want you to go and tell David this, and I want you to share with him. And he shares with him a whole long item, but this is one part that he comes to in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, as he tells David he's not going to be the one to build. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, translated, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Fair enough. Your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And in fact, Solomon follows David and does that. Solomon builds what's referred to as Solomon's temple, one of the most fantastic edifices that the world has ever, ever seen. But here's the line that relates to us today. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David realizes, as, the, as, as if you read the passage, goes on, he's realizing what God's saying is that, David, I'm going to establish something that your lineage will rule, and it will rule for eternity. And David's saying, wow, nobody's ever had a run like that before. You know? Kings rise, kings fall. But you're saying that my house, my name, will last forever. Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. He's referred to probably more often than anything else as the son of David. And that David's offspring is going to have this eternal kingdom. A little bit later in Isaiah's time, uh, the king is, is playing coy with some things Isaiah's trying to get across to him. And so Isaiah says, look at here, I'm going to give you a sign of God's involvement. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's never happened before. People may have talked about it or tried to spin that onto people, but it ain't never happened before. Then in Luke chapter 1, an angel shows up to Mary 
The 35th verse, the angel answers when she says, what's going on here? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And lo and behold, for the first and only time in history, a virgin gives birth to a child. These are the progressions. These are the things that are taking place. And, and then there's another point in Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, it says, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Prophecy is often in two methodologies. It has an immediate application and it has a future application. When we talk about Antichrist, it was referencing specifically Nero at that time, but also references somebody yet to come. In this case, it's referencing the fact that, yes, Israel was my child, and out of Egypt I called my son and brought him into the promised land, what we just have walked through the last number of weeks. But it had another meaning, and it was recognized in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus is born, Herod finds out about it, and he wants to kill off everybody that's associated. So Joseph is warned in a dream, and he takes mother and child, and says he got up, Verses 14, 15, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, referencing Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Really, I call him right now, and I'm going to place him in Canaan. But I'm also going to call my son, who has taken refuge out of Egypt, and bring him back into the promised land to fulfill what he's going to do. These are all the different things that are happening. A man has promised something from centuries back. It goes to the son, not the first son, but the second son. And then it goes on down the line, not again to the first son, but to the second son, who's even unsavory in certain ways. We see all these different progressions of what takes place and all the provisions being made and all the links of these things until finally this one in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. One of my favorite ones. And one that's going to bring us back to where we started. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you is going to come for me one who will be ruled over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem, you are a small little town. Nothing ever happens there. The only claim to fame you have ever had is that you're David's birthplace, King David's birthplace from, from centuries back. That's your big claim to fame. You walk into to Bethlehem and there's a little sign there that says you're now entering the original birthplace of King David. That's it. They're known for nothing else. The only other thing they were known for was their name. The name meant house of bread. Other than that, there was no reason for Bethlehem to have any meaning whatsoever. But this passage says, out of you, there's going to come from one who's going to be a ruler. Uh, interesting that, that one who comes, Jesus comes out of this place that means house of bread, and he claims to be the bread of life. When, when the Magi gather, the three wise men, well, it could have been three, actually, it could have been 153. We really don't know. There were three gifts, so maybe they divided amongst all 153 of them, or maybe there was one guy that just had a lot of gifts. We don't know. But when these guys show up on Herod's doorstep and say that they've seen something in the sky above, I'm sure you've heard this by now. There's something special happening in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a, a joining together, a close uh, um, relationship of two planets in the sky that's going to look like a very bright star, very close to that, kind of a Christmas star. Isn't it great that at least we, we wrap up 2020 with one nice thing? Well, uh, and, and, and you should check it out because it's not going to happen. The last time it happened was 800 years ago. 
So the odds are real high. None of us are going to catch this again. All right? So the astronomers are watching things and they see this alignment of stars or planets that say there's something special going on. And I just personally think that God's giving us this one moment of time to say, yeah, 2020 really was really, yeah, but you know what, I'm still here. I personally just, that's my personal thing because I'm, I'm a very gifted astronomer. <laughs> Nobody knows stars like I know stars. So they see it and they come and Herod says, what's this all about? And then he calls together, it says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, the chief priest teaches the law, he says, where the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem. Really? Yeah, in Judea. For this is what the prophet's written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you is going to come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. All of these prophecies, just eight of them right here, really, and Jesus fulfilled them. The odds of that are 1 in 10 to the 17th power. But he fulfills all of those. But I don't want to leave you hanging because in Micah's prophecy, it wasn't just talking about those who would shepherd my people Israel or rule over it, but the line that totally captures me is a section that says, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus didn't show up on Christmas Day. Jesus being God in the flesh, he was the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's always been. And now if we go into the Old Testament and we look around a little bit, then we see there the Father. We see the, the Spirit represented. But Jesus, where is Jesus? I would suggest to you he shows up multiple times, pre-incarnate, pre-enfleshed. And one of those times I suggest to you is in Joshua. As just he's beginning to go into the land to conquer the land and he encounters this person that is referred to as the commander of the Lord's army. But there's something deeper going on here in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the Lord, army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You never fall down before an angel. They won't permit it. You only fall down before God. In this moment of time, one who is of ancient, one who has always been and always will be, was present. Joshua falls down. Now here's a little subtext, totally little thing. I just want to kind of squeeze through the keyhole of your brain right now. Is this, are you for us or for our enemies? Is God for us or for our enemies? Wrong question to ask. And he says, neither. The right question is, am I for God or am I against him? Never let your politics enter into your understanding of how you serve God. It's not a question of whether he is endorsing what we're doing. The question is, are we endorsing and supporting what he's doing? Are we for him or against him? And so in this place that is so holy that he has to take off his sandals and fall down, there is that person of old. Once we understand and see the vantage point of the New Testament, we understand so much more of what's taking place. And so now, before we conclude here, in a moment's time, we're going to partake of communion together. I want to completely mess up something for you just to get you out of 2020 in proper order. But to be fair, you've had 21 years to sort this thing out. 
And so if you haven't sorted out by now, I feel no responsibility whatsoever. There's a movie entitled The Sixth Sense. I'm going to tell you how it ends. So right now you can, if you want to, I think it would be very bad, but you can go la, 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 la for the next three minutes. In this, there's a psychologist who's counseling a young man, a little boy. The little boy apparently is delusional. The, young, the older man is dealing with his own issues. Um, he was almost killed in a uh, break-in. Um, he's estranged from his wife. They don't talk. This little boy says he hears dead people, and so the psychologist throughout the entire film was trying to work with him and, and sort out what's going on, knowing that there are delusions, but help him work through it. It's only at the very end of the film that you realize the truth of what's taken place, and it changes the whole film. You have to watch it all over again. Only at the end do you realize, no, the psychologist was not injured in that event. He was killed in that event. He's not estranged from his wife. His wife is living, and he's dead and the person he's talking to is a little boy who can actually hear dead people. And so as he's counseling as a dead person, this little boy who also hears dead people and tries to bring that to resolution, he comes to the realization of who he is himself. The theology of it sucks. But everything changes. As we look into these prophecies, as we look into the life of Christ, as we begin to understand who and what he was, we begin to be able to have the whole Old Testament open up in a way that you could never have imagined before. We look and we realize that for him, these prophecies and the completion of them, only eight out of 300, that of those eight, the probabilities would have been spreading trillions of silver dollars across the entire state of Texas two feet deep and finding the exact one from a blindfolded man. Only those eight. But Jesus fulfills those. And 292 more beyond that, conservatively speaking. There's a final prophecy I would close with today, and we find this one to be the very earliest one. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as the serpent who has caused the fall of man is now being rebuked by God. And God says in a prophetic sense, both for the moment and for the far future, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You're going to strike his heel. But he will crush your head. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who always was and always will be, whose origins are from ancient and old and beyond time and space, who fulfills all these prophecies, who's born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the house of bread, becomes the bread of life. And he is wounded. He dies on a cross. But he rises from the dead and crushes by doing that Satan for all time. For 400 years after, there is silence. The prophecies cease. And in the darkness, in the silence of that time, over and over again, the people read in their gatherings of who Messiah will be, how he will come. Empires rise and fall in that time, but they keep reading, they keep believing, they have faith that there is a promise that will ultimately be kept. 
the Messiah will come, that salvation will arrive through the house of David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that someone will come that will bless all nations. And finally, after 400 years of silence, 400 years of darkness, out of the darkness comes a light. Out of the silence comes a song. No, a cry of a little baby. And the promise is fulfilled in that moment. This is just the beginning of the holiday and the season in the midst of all that we're facing that we're about to embrace. Do you see it? Father, as we prepare for this time, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, that we'd come to understand the meaningfulness of this time. For those of us that are believers, if there's been a downheartening moment that, that hope would rise, if there's been areas where we've fallen or failed, that this would be a time of repentance. For those that know nothing of this, that hearts are being drawn right now by your Holy Spirit, that there'd be a moment of deep repentance and, and restoration and transformation. But as we wait and, and take of these things together in a moment of time, I pray, Lord, that you'd plumb the depths of our heart in this moment in Jesus' name. We have three more Sundays and 2020 is out. There's going to be some important communications we're going to be putting out for our family here. Um, if you're on our mailing list and on that email list, then great, you're going to just pay attention over the next week or two and you'll get some instructions. If this is your home church and you're not on that, let us know. Um, otherwise, if you're joining us by live stream, you're welcome. Uh, but there's a few things we want to communicate, so just pay attention to that. There's prayer available out in the uh, atrium following this, or if you just want to stay for a while and, and hang out, that's fine too. Um, three weeks. That's a fresh start. This is Christmas. And no matter what's happened in this year or is going to happen, this is still the time when God's Spirit reigns overall. Don't lose sight of that. So God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would empower your church, not just here, but across the nation that we'd set aside all other allegiances and distractions. And in these next several weeks, let your spirit flow into us and let us celebrate you and encourage and uplift one another. This I pray for your church in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.